morning, we're uh, continuing our series called Baggage Claim, where we're taking a look at the baggage in our lives, the things from our past that continue uh, to affect our present, and uh, asking God to heal those things. i got to tell you, I'm excited to share this message with you. I've been waiting since the beginning of the series for this week, uh, and I'm excited to share what is ahead. But I want to begin in a passage of Scripture that you may not have heard a sermon on before. I don't know that I've heard one on this before, but this is what I've been dwelling in this week, and I encourage you to open there. It's in Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 43. These are the words of Jesus. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked Than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. And with that, I'm going to pray because I don't think there's any other way to finish it but that. (laughs) So let's pray and ask God's guidance, and we'll come back to this video in just a little bit. God, we thank you so much for your word and for its life and for your spirit that breathes life. Uh, into it and breathe life into us. So God, we ask for your inspiration this morning, whether that's through our ears that hear or through my mouth that speaks. Would you pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. As I said, we're in this series called Baggage Claim. And if at this point you haven't figured out what your baggage is, then we would invite you to celebrate recovery because denial is the first step we work through. And the reality is we all deal with things that are going on in our lives, that are challenges, that are struggles. And I shared mine a few weeks ago, and each, uh, you've, you've seen videos with testimonies. We're going to have another one today to share with you. But I believe that Jesus came not just to save us from our sins. He came to heal us from our sins. And those are two different things. And the church for years has focused on forgiveness, but sometimes we haven't gotten to sanctification, to healing to what God wants to do beyond just that. So today I want to get more practical and I want to take a look at some things that we can do to kind of take the next step forward, not just confessing our sin to God, not just confessing our sin to one another, not just coming into a church that learns to deal with that, but taking steps toward healing. And I believe I have some things to to share today that I, I pray the Spirit will convict in the ways that are needed in your life to bring action in the days to come. And I want to do that by talking about three key words that Celebrate Recovery uses in their talk about healing and restoration. And there's three words that I want to share, and those three words are this. I'll start with one of them. Uh, the first word is hurts. Hurts. And there's a definition up on the screen there that I want to share with you. A hurt is an experience of physical pain caused by yourself or another person. All of us have experienced at some point in our lives uh, hurts or pain It causes difficulty in our lives, whether that's the hurt of a parent that's neglected or abused us in some way, whether that's a relationship that failed at some point, whether that's, uh, it can be any number of things. It can be a word that was spoken by a teacher or a coach at some point that continues to wound and sticks with you all these years later. All of us have experiences, and it can be ourself. We can inflict those hurts on ourselves, but often these are hurts that others uh, create in our lives that we have to then deal with at some point in the rest of our lives. Um, the, the second word that I want to talk about today is a hang-up. 
we all have hang-ups in our lives. And Celebrate Recovery talks about this real clearly uh, if you step into this as we begin this in a couple of weeks. Hang-ups are this. It's a psychological or emotional problem or fixation about something in your life. So first you have the hurt, but then a hurt often develops into a hang-up of some kind. So imagine this, if you grew up in a household where abandonment was the hurt that you experienced by your parents, then you step into relationships with someone else later on in life, and if at any point that person's not even abandoning you, but you feel some of the things or you feel this emotion about abandonment that happened through your parents in the past, you have this emotional trigger that begins to trigger when you feel anything of the sort. And you begin to kind of deal with that in different ways. But first starts a hurt, and that hurt often develops into hang-ups that in our relationships through the rest of our lives we experience and see cause problems. But the third thing we want to talk about this morning are habits. And a habit's an easy thing to define, but it plays uh, really importantly into this obvious the situation when it comes to healing, when it comes to our lives and the sin and the baggage that we've dealt with. A habit is a regular or repeated pattern of behavior. And habits can be good things, can't they? Some of us have developed really good habits in our lives, rhythms, uh, discipline in our lives that have been good things. But many of us experience harmful and destructive habits. And those are the ones I'm referring more to today. So we have hurts in our lives. We have hang-ups that develop from those hurts. And then our habits are really our coping mechanisms. Uh, perhaps it's a sin in your life that you've learned to cope with. And that sin helps you deal with the hurt by kind of forgetting about it for a season. Uh, some people learn to drink this way. This is a way to deal with the hurt in their lives, and it's not the healthiest way to deal with it. But we find these things when it comes to the habits in our lives, and those coping mechanisms become things we depend on. They're crutches for us. And at first, you can get relief with just a little bit of a habit. But over time, usually, you have to up the ante with that habit to get the same relief you got the first time. And this is where addictions occur, is you learn a habit that helps you, but over time, it becomes more than just a simple thing to take care of something. It becomes a destructive habit that wreaks havoc in all kinds of areas in your life. And that's where addictions refer, come from. So does this make sense, what I'm describing this morning? Hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Now, uh, this morning I want to share with you another story uh, of somebody in our church that's finding healing. Definitely went through this process of hurts, hang-ups, habits. In fact, in this uh, testimony video, you'll be able to tell where hurts and hang-ups and habits occurred in this individual's life. But Grant Glover was willing to share this story, and I I think it shares also the good news about what can happen when healing comes in the midst of these difficulties. So watch this story, this testimony of Grant's. Hi, I'm Grant. I'm a firm believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with self-worth and porn. Uh... Fifth grade, I looked at my first Playboy, didn't really know what it was at the time. A friend gave it to me, and uh, I liked that rush feeling, and it stuck with me. Um, And that's what I used to start making myself better, feel better when I was struggling with my self-worth. So growing up, I always compared myself to others, why I didn't measure up in my eyes, why things I did weren't good enough, and my self-worth. Every time it tanked, I would get on the computer and go to porn. And that's what I was using to try and make myself feel better. Uh, That cycle stuck with me forever. And went off to college and met my wife. And throughout all this time, my relationship with Christ through college and then when we got married was went to church every Sunday morning. Everybody thought I was a good Christian man, never really did anything bad. But in the dark, hidden corners of my house, I was looking at porn and ruining my marriage. 
and ended up coming to a head one night when my wife didn't recognize me for the man, godly man she married and she wanted to be separated for a while. And that is when I realized that I needed something different. Me going to the computer by myself was not fixing my self-worth issues. Um, went to CR, Galen introduced me to it, went to Celebrate Recovery and ended up working through the program and the 12 steps and realizing porn wasn't my issue, it was self-worth. I had always struggled with it and I had just taken one worldly device to medicate myself and try and make myself feel better and that clearly was not working. So after working through the program and starting to realize that I don't have those voices control over me anymore. I still hear them. They still creep in, but now it's I can instantly recognize them and catch them before they make me spiral out into self-pity and doubt and regret on myself and who I am. Instead, now I love who I am. I'm a proud, godly man, and my marriage is better than it's ever been. And, you know, I tell those voices now when I hear them to shut up. I am a son of God. Praise God for stories like that. Yeah, it's okay to applaud. I'm here to tell you that God's still active in doing things. He's still bringing restoration and healing to the world. And sometimes we settle for just reading Scripture and hearing about what He did in the past. But our God is a God who continues to work. And I know you may not believe that because your stories continue to go down the path of the habit. But today I want to continue to talk about how this healing happens. You heard it in Grant's story. A story that's an amazing story of healing and restoration in his and Becky's marriage. And I'm grateful for the ways they'll continue to serve helping others down the same path they've walked down. I want to come back to the board again. And I want to ask this question. Out of these three words, hurts, hang-ups, habits, what has the church focused on most? Uh, Which one of these has been the focus of the church's ministry most? It's okay to say it out. I want to hear it. Habits. We talk about habits, don't we? And the gospel story that we've told has been a story that says Jesus came to earth to do what? To forgive you of your habits, to forgive you of your sins. And most of the worst sins were what? They were the addictions and the the hang-ups, the ones that Grant's talking about and others, that really were our coping mechanisms. Here's the problem. As long as we focus on coping mechanisms, we're never going to get to healing because the coping mechanisms are just symptoms, aren't they? They're just symptoms of a larger issue. The source of the problem is the hurt that happened in our past. And as long as we as churches shame people around the coping mechanisms and the symptoms and the habits that we continue to struggle with, the harder it is to be able to share those habits and the harder it is to do the hard work of going back to figure out the hurt that's behind those habits. We're actually not helping people heal at all when we create shame and focus our ministry just on habits. Now, I'm here to tell you, habits will destroy a person's life. Habits will destroy families. What habits do is habits create pain in the next generation that starts them on the same track because now they have hurts from those habits that the parents had and those turn into hang-ups and those turn into habits. But if the church's focus is only how do we shame and keep people from doing this, we either go into hiding or we find another coping mechanism once we knock another one down. See, See, coping mechanisms are helpful if they're healthy coping mechanisms. And so the, the idea is not to get rid of the mechanism, to shame people about the habit and think, well, now we've done the work. It's to do the hard work of figuring out what was behind that, what's the source of the issue. 
See, Jesus came to save us from our habits, but I also believe he came to heal us from our hurts. And the abundant life doesn't happen by just getting rid of a habit. The abundant life comes when we get to the source and begin to work through that. Because we think this. We think if we get rid of our habits, then our hurt just magically goes away. The problem is, it's our hurt that's creating our habit. And if we don't get to the hurt, we're going to continue to find thing after thing that's going to lead us down that path. I want to read to you uh, from a few chapters later in Matthew, the 18th chapter, uh, a couple of verses. When Jesus talks about, he gets worked up about the hurt that is caused in people's lives. And sometimes we're the ones who are the perpetrators of it. This is what he says in, in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 6. It says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, uh, let's just play the would you rather game, right? Would you rather have a large millstone turn around your neck and be thrown in the heart of the sea or cause a hurt for a child that's going to continue to work through that the rest of their lives? And Jesus says, the millstone's the better option. Like, that's how destructive this is. And if if we don't work through our habits, but then eventually to our hurt, we're going to continue to continue these cycles in families where we cause hurt that continues to work through the same way in their lives. And so that's why it's so important to us to get to this, to realize when we cause hurt in other people's lives through our habits that we don't deal with, all of a sudden it's going to create the same cycle that we've dealt with in our own lives. So woe to those, Jesus says, who pass on hurts to children because those hurts will eventually turn into hang-ups that will eventually turn into habits. When we're completely honest and we walk out of denial, I think we all can admit this morning that we all have destructive habits in our lives, don't we? And what I find is when I finally deal with a big habit that I thought, if I could just get over that, then everything will be great in my life, what I find is there's layers underneath that that I could have never seen until I dealt with the first one. And, and so we walk through that and we try to find healing. And, and i got to tell you, these habits, they look different in a church in a, in a room this size. We have different habits in this room. In fact, different zip codes have different habits. Different cultures have different habits. They become socially acceptable habits along the way. You notice this? When I was ministering in Denver around the homeless community that was there in a ministry that was downtown I told you about a few weeks ago, what I discovered was that there were different habits that were emerging and clear in the community in downtown Denver than there were in the church I was at in the suburbs uh, of Denver. And it's the same thing that's true here. In Dallas, if you were to go down to, to uh, City Square or different ministries downtown, you're going to see different habits that sh- than those that show up in Collin County. Now, I'm not saying that the percentages are any different. Drugs and alcohol is as big of an issue here as it is in the inner city. But what I found is that those who are resourced are able to cover up their habits in different ways than those who find themselves in a position of under-resource. And so we walk into a room this size and we don't know the habits that are there And we come to accept some socially acceptable habits that are just as destructive as the ones that we want to point out and shame. And so if you look around Collin County, if I can go from preaching to meddling, there's some habits that we've come to accept as socially acceptable that are just different ways of coping with the hurts in our lives that we've got to be careful of. One of those is workaholism. 
And I'll tell you, this, is, this, this will destroy families if you're going to find your self-worth and, and try to medicate your hurt through trying to build and amass wealth and not be home to your family. I've heard it before. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, pro, I'm providing all that I can financially for my family. That's the best thing I can offer. And I'm telling you, that's going to start a, a chain of hurts in your child's life if you neglect them to give them something else. But it's not just workaholism, right? There's all kinds of examples of this. Uh, plastic surgery and the billion-dollar industry that's there along with if I can perfect my body through exercise, like some habits are healthy habits that become destructive just as much if we take them to an extreme and we don't deal with the hurt that's behind them. And so we tr- tend to kind of work on our hurt through different avenues that if we're not careful become addictions in the same way. How many of us have learned if we buy certain things for a season, we can put away the hurt until the credit card bill comes at the end of the month? Like, that's still dealing with a hurt that we haven't worked through and trying to find a habit to try to help us with it. Or how many of us, it's our children. Like, our children become the way that we get our self-worth and we deal with our hurt. Is if, if we can get them to succeed, if we can push them into all these sports, if they could just get that high school you know, championship trophy ring, we'll put them all through the ringer to get them there. And really what it is is it's our hurt that we're idolizing our kids to try to deal. And we have a habit of our kids that becomes an idolization that's not healthy either. Or if I can really go to meddling. High school football? I mean, I don't think there's another city in the country with a stadium quite like ours. And I played high school football, and I have season tickets. But if we've got to be careful that we don't allow the things that we think are healthy habits to somehow cover up the hurt. Again, it looks different in different places. And I love the way Richard Rohr talks about this. I want to share this quote with you in one of his books on 12-step recovery. He says, all societies are addicted to themselves and create deep codependency on them. There are shared and agreed upon addictions in every culture and institution. These are often the hardest to heal because they do not look like addictions because we have all agreed to be compulsive about the same things and blind to the same problems. The gospel exposes those lies in every culture. This is why some cultures are addicted to oil. And some cultures are addicted to victimhood. And others are addicted to superiority and entitlement. But every culture has something the gospel exposes and says, it's not okay to medicate your hurt with these habits that end up destroying and creating hurts in others that they'll have to deal with in the future. Which brings me back to that strange passage I began with in Matthew chapter 12. I think these three words perhaps come alive in a new way if we read them again in this context. Matthew 12, verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. I think this passage has something to do with these three words on the board this morning. And I know some of you may see this, and you may think this is real archaic, this whole talk about impure and evil spirits. Like, we have names for that, and they're diseases now, right? But i got to tell you, if you've ever dealt with addiction, you know that spiritual warfare is a real thing. If you've ever been a spouse of someone that struggled with something and trying to pull them out of that, this is real. Spiritual warfare is a real thing in our world. It's not just a metaphor. But there's more to this passage of connection than just spiritual warfare. Because here's what it comes down to. Here's the problem. Addicts do not succeed 
by removing their addictions. That's what happens in Matthew chapter 12. The impure, the unclean spirit is removed from the person, from the house that's described there, the metaphor, right? And that doesn't fix everything, does it? Because just to get rid of a habit doesn't change everything in your life. And why? Because the habit is a symptom of a larger source, a larger issue that's underneath that. So when a person loses a coping mechanism by getting rid of a habit and they don't replace it with something else, you better be sure something worse is going to show up in the days to come. Which is why if you've ever been to an AA meeting during break time, there's always a smoke break, right? And I say that in jest partly, but there's a reality to this that so many in the recovery community, I've seen many that end up having issues with food. And it's because it becomes a more socially acceptable thing. And as you work through these addictions, if you don't fill it with the right things, you're just going to find another addiction that's going to cover it over. And sometimes it's healthy and sometimes it's unhealthy. And this is what happens in Matthew chapter 12. See, addicts who kick addictions often are not in the clear until you replace it with something else. I want to go back to uh, verse 44 and read this again. Listen closely. Then it says, I will return to the house I left, and when it arrives... It finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Now, that word that I want to key in on in this passage is the word for unoccupied, okay? In the English translation, it's unoccupied. It may look like something else in yours. But the word behind that is a word that can mean several different things. It can mean three different things. I want to talk about two of them now. One of them is to mean it's to be empty. So kind of like a house that's swept clean. It's unoccupied. That's one sense of this word. Another sense of the word would be to cease from labor, or, or to rest, or to vacation. The word vacate being similar to empty, right? Vacate is a part of that word. And so it's to empty for something else. And here's where addicts get in trouble, is if we empty the house, if we rest, if we vacate, if we get rid of the habit, and we just sit there with a house that's swept clean, you better believe you're in trouble if you don't do something after that. Because isolation and aloneness and idleness, these are, these are all the things that have been my struggle as an addictive person. I shared my story a few weeks ago. Whenever I was alone and whenever I was by myself and everything was silent, that's where I was at my worst. Here's what I want to suggest this morning. You won't find healing by ending your addictions. You find healing when you deal with your hurts and you find healthier addictions. That's counterintuitive for those of you who may not have addictive personalities because I know Holly's one of these people that says, could you just not be so compulsive in the ways you are. Like, for instance, one of the ways I found healing was I started running marathons. And I would run and spend all these hours on the trail. And Holly's response was, could you just run for three hours every day, or three miles every day like a normal person? Why do you have to take four hours, five hours on a Saturday to do your long run? That's hard on the family, and it is. Any of you who've been a spouse with someone who does that kind of stuff, it's, it can be a, a burden on the family. But there's something to my addictive personality that found healing as my physical rhythms became healthier. Same thing was true when it came to Scripture. I, I, I spent a season of my life, Holly and I did the first 90 days of one of the last couple of years, where we read through the Bible in 90 days. And it is hard to keep up an addiction when you have an addiction for an hour every day to read Scripture. And, and you're filling yourself with something such, so much more positively, and you don't have the time to deal with the addictions that you used to in the past. You see, I'm healthier when I have healthy addictions. And I think that's what Paul's talking about when he uh, talks in the, to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You remember what's the, the context of this passage? He's talking about don't be anxious about anything. 
So you remove anxiety, but what do you put in its place? You remove the habit of anxiety, but what do you put in its place? This is what it says in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Remove the habit and replace it with these thoughts that set your mind on the right kinds of things. Because another word for addiction or habit is rhythm, isn't it? Another word for an addiction is a discipline. And so we see addiction as a very negative thing, and it certainly is. We've seen the effects of it. But if we turn those into the rhythms of our life of spirituality, rhythms of our life of physical health, rhythms of being with people rather than being alone and isolated, these are the very things that begin to change. And that's what the AA community has gotten that the church sometimes hasn't, is it takes work every single day. It takes being in a community you can be accountable and, 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 and open with. And this was the end of my sermon until Thursday. Sorry. Because I happened upon something that I, I'd never seen before that opened this passage in Matthew 12 in a whole new way. So I, I'm not going to preach a full sermon here, but I do want to share something that I think was an insight that came this week. It, it comes from uh, this word unoccupied that showed up in Matthew chapter 12. And I did a quick word study, and what I found was there's only two places that word shows up in all of the New Testament. And the other place it shows up is in 1 Corinthians 7. So if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians 7 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 7 isn't exactly the place I would have expected to go when it comes to this passage, but it makes all the sense in the world right now. It's a passage about sexuality. It's a passage about marriage, about singleness, about all those things that is a question the Corinthian church is asking. But I want to read beginning in verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. You you guys tracking with this so far? Verse 5. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, the same word that showed up in Matthew chapter 12, unoccupied, which means to empty or vacation or to cease to labor, is the same word. It's the only other time it happens is in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. And you wouldn't guess it when you look at this passage. It's actually the words translated, devote yourselves, which sounds nothing like a house that's empty or unoccupied, right? But the sense that 1 Corinthians 7 is trying to say is, it's okay to deprive yourselves if you do this mutually for a season. As long as you do what? As long as you devote yourselves to prayer. As long as you take that empty space and you fill it with something else. One of my friends, uh, one of my professors in school actually, who has has mentored a lot of families and couples, he talked about a a couple that came to him looking for marriage advice. And and, and they came together and the wife uh, said, uh, you know, I... I got a word from God uh, that uh, I'm not supposed to sleep with my husband anymore. And and my friend asked the husband, uh, did you get the same word from God? He said, no. And his response in the midst of this was, that's interesting that you heard this word from God, but discernment needs to go along with Scripture. And have you ever read this passage in 1 Corinthians 7? Because it clearly addresses exactly what you're talking about. The only reason you would 
uh, mutually consent to step away from sleeping with one another is for a purpose. You don't just empty yourself on its own. You empty yourselves for a purpose and only for a season. And why? Verse 5 says it at the end of it. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. One of the most dangerous things you can do to get rid of an addiction is to get rid of an addiction without a plan to fill yourself with something good in its place. And that's what Matthew 12 is talking about. It's what 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about. It's all in the context of spiritual warfare. And it's saying, you can empty yourself, but if you do not empty yourself and fill it with something better in its place, impure spirits worse will come, or in this situation, 1 Corinthians 7, Satan will tempt you in a way you shouldn't be tempted. And this is so important when it comes to these situations of hurts and hang-ups and habits in our lives, is we can focus all day long as a church on habits. This is what we've done. And we've shamed people about that, and we've sent them into hiding, and we said, if you can just get rid of this, then God will be pleased with you. But the truth is, you will not be whole by just dealing with the symptoms. You will become whole when you deal with the source. When you step into healthy rituals, healthy rhythms, healthy disciplines that begin to fill the space that was empty when you got rid of what was there before. So you can't live life focused on not doing certain things. You have to have a mission and a purpose that's a positive purpose. And this is why churches have gone all wrong. When churches have known more what they're against rather than what they're for, what are they doing? They're saying no to certain things. And they're not filling the space. And you know what? Satan has a heyday in churches like that. Because all it turns into is more bickering and fighting because there's not a mission that's calling them above the fight that they're against. And the same thing is true in families. The same thing is true as individuals. It's okay to live against certain things. There are certain habits that are destructive, and we need to get rid of those things. But we do not do that without going back to the source and figuring what our hurt is. And if you're wondering, how would I go about doing that? What is the hurt? i, I got to tell you, in my situation, I started by going to celebrate recovery, and I, I knew what my habits were. I knew what was destroying my life. And what I had to do was not just focus on the habit. What my sponsor did was help me to realize, hey, you've got hang-ups, and you've got hurts that are driving you to your habit. And we've got to work through that. We've, and, and all of a sudden, through time alone and dwelling in, in, in the Word and, and spending time asking the Spirit to kind of guide me to those moments, I began to realize things I hadn't remembered for years. There were hurts that were in my past that I weren't, wasn't acknowledging. It was lying in my subconscious. And as I began to call those to the front, I began to be able to deal with those things and began to seek amends for the pain I'd caused in others' lives. And all of a sudden, the process of healing happens. You see, 12-step recovery works. The best theologians have always been in our church basements. And the reason is because it didn't just focus on the habit and the shame and the guilt around this. It stepped forward to realize. And if we're going to be healthy in our marriages, we're not just going to try to force our spouses to get rid of their habits. These are painful, and these have caused a lot of pain in our relationships, haven't they? But true healing and the restoration of your marriage is not going to happen by focusing here. It's going to be happening by trying to get back to the hurt. And you may not be able to do that as the spouse. It may be someone else that's going to walk in beside them. But we want to be a a place, a church, where that healing happens. Amen? We don't just talk about habits and shame people and kick them out of here because they can't get that straight. But who realize that Jesus came not just to save us from our sins, he came to save us for a mission. He came to give us abundant life. And abundant life isn't found in getting rid of these. Abundant life is found in dealing with those hurts.
And when you finally deal with those hurts, the greatest ministries can emerge because you've owned it yourself and you're able to tell your story of healing to others who are just for the first time realizing their habits. This is the way the church works. Right now I want to pray and I want to invite you during this time, if you want to go and talk with anyone about your habit or you want to talk about your hurt or you want to begin a conversation, I would love to meet you after service and begin that conversation. We'd love to connect you with Celebrate Recovery that's beginning in a few weeks. You'll hear more about. There's also prayer leaders in the back that would love to pray with you as they've been open to all through the service. Right now I want to close the prayer though. God, I, I thank you so much for the ways that you open us up to realities that are beyond the physical. God, we live in a world that's able to explain everything by science, and, and, and yet, God, there are realities behind that, the realities of spiritual warfare that I've experienced, there are realities that are in this room right now that are, that are continuing to hurt us, and yet the church sometimes has just been a party to dealing with habits. So, God, we, we confess and repent of the shame and guilt that we've heaped on people about their symptoms without ever talking about the source of it all. God, we believe you want healing for us. We believe you don't want us to just live against certain sins. You want us to live for healing and for the abundant life. And so, God, would you invite us into that? Would you, as this week we deal with our hurts, would you, would you bind up those wounds, God? Would you find people that would come into our lives that would allow uh, them and their journey to help us through ours? God, for those who are just dealing with habits and coming to grips with that for the first time, God, God, I pray that you would forgive those sins as we've prayed before in this series, but I pray you would heal them as they share these sins with others and walk through recovery. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that healing is what you're after, not just forgiveness of sins, and that you saved us for a mission in the world. We pray this prayer, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be standing now for our benediction.